Feeling inspired by hosts Ron and Tyler to work on your health? The Movie Buffs podcast is brought to you by Time to Train Fitness, your home for on-demand workouts for every level of fitness. Exercise with amazing certified instructors that want you to push through any barriers. At Time to Train Fitness, you'll find quality workouts across six class formats, including indoor cycling, HIIT, bar, yoga, strength training, and dance cardio. Stream brand new classes releasing every week in our 450-plus on-demand workout library. Use the link in the description to view all of the membership options and to start a free five-day trial. Get ready to press play on your next workout. Hey, everybody. This is your friendly neighborhood host, Ron Jam, here. And with the holidays fast approaching, I know it can be harder than ever to try to stay on track with our health and fitness goals. But it doesn't have to be. That's why I use Icon Meals to ship macro-friendly, ready-to-eat meals right to my door. No cooking, no messes, no muss, no fuss. I order them at the beginning of every week, and they are so helpful. They're healthy, macro-friendly, and super easy to track on Calorie Counting app. They offer a signature menu that rotates every single week, along with staple items that are always a part of the menu. They even have keto options, if that's the kind of thing you're into. They come in super handy on those days where you just don't have time to make a meal, and you don't have time to sit at a restaurant. Whether it's running back and forth, recording and editing the podcast, trying to get your own workouts done, or training clients, they can be a game changer. Hit the link in our description to give them a try, and come back and let me know how you like them. And be sure to use code SAVETIME at checkout for free shipping off any order over $130. That's code SAVETIME at checkout. So order your Icon Meals today to stay on track through the holidays and stay buff with us. All right, time for the show. And we're recording. Hello to our fellow film fitness freaks, fanatics, and aficionados, and welcome back to episode four of the Movie Buffs podcast, the strongest podcast in the world about movies. And you are in for a treat today, everybody. I can tell you this, you are in for a treat because it is our first ever episode entirely about throwing knives. (laughs) As always, I am your friendly neighborhood host, Ron Jam, joined as always by the man, the myth, the fairy tale, LT Gray. How's it going today, Tyler? Throwing out throwing knives right there. I mean, I just watched the episode of Yellowstone. I know a lot of people watch Yellowstone these days, but freaking some dude just freaking chucks a knife, a throwing knife. Now you got me thinking about it into some guy's chest in the episode. Oh, oh my God. I'm sorry. I, 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 oh, oh, I'm sorry. What were you talking about? You're not a fan of Yellowstone? <laughs> <Was it> boring? <laughs> no, I've, I've heard good things about it up and down. And I got to tell you, I will not watch it. If you said it's between watching Yellowstone and making $5 million for that same amount of time, like if that's what I'd get for it, I'd say, no, thank you. Hard pass for you. Hard pass. So speaking of throwing knives, fun aside, one time a, a friend of mine decided to accompany his much younger girlfriend to prom. I think we were freshman or sophomore in college and she was a junior in high school. He went to their prom and came back all mad because he got kicked out. And I was like, what happened, man? Why'd you get kicked out? He opens up his suit jacket and has uh, a holster of throwing knives on each side. What? And I said, what the fuck? Are you Blade? Is this, is this your magician friend? It's not a magician friend. <laughs> this is a, a different psychopath I know. <laughs> anyway, man, before we get into the podcast, before we get into this workout of a podcast, I guess it's time to warm up. So Tyler, why don't you warm us up, bud? Let's kick it off a little bit of news. With last episode, last week's episode, we did our fun and, in my opinion, very entertaining flop or not. And 
I know I had fun. Yeah, I know you did. I know our listeners did too. I've got some feedback that people enjoyed that skit of ours. And oh man, it just keeps on rolling here. So some sad <laughs> news. I know that you're going to be very disappointed with this one, but Deep Water from last week, not going to even make it to <laughs> the movies, going straight to streaming. How sad are you about this? Very, first of all, very in all caps, but I was just looking forward to seeing the drama and the melodrama unfold of a, a man who has an open relationship with his wife who is quickly found to maybe be guilty of the disappearances of her lovers, question mark. Is that what it's about? <laughs> I think I remember. You do remember. And wow. sadly enough, so no marketing, no trailer, and going straight to Hulu. Dun, dun, and dun. I guess that, that says one major important thing, Tyler. That it flops. <laughs> We're right, buddy. Boom! One for one, batting a thousand. Here we got a fun one. Continuing on with our always talking about MCU news and, mm -hmm. of course, my love of Tom Holland and his great acting. One of the directors of Endgame, Joe Russo, if you didn't know, there's two of them, the Russo brothers. He feels that Holland, Tom Holland, has taken over the mantle left by Downey Jr. Not so much on the tech side. When I first read the headline, I was like, okay, this is clickbait because you think about Tony Stark's role within the MCU. He's the tech guy, makes all the sweet technology. I'm like, well, there's already people in the MCU that do that. They have the knowledge for it and they can knock those things out. But more in terms of that the stories will be revolving around him, how Tony Stark was a piece of every story kind of coming out. You see Stark tech across all the movies. And now they're saying that he thinks that Spider-Man will take that mantle. What do you think about that? I think it's it's smart business-wise. I mean, Spider-Man is in the top three of most recognizable comic characters of all time. He's probably in the top five most iconic fictional characters of all time. You know, if you count in like uh, Mickey Mouse and Superman, he's probably right up there with mm -hmm. those two and Batman. So it's, it's smart marketing-wise. And I think they must have come to some deeper understanding with Sony uh, about their use of each other's rights. I think maybe also Marvel is like, we can make this guy even bigger and Sony will have to foot the bill if we want him to. One of the items that I feel like we don't talk about in the podcast is the toys, the action figures that go along with all these movies. I know it's a humongous part of why certain characters come out and these new toys that come out. And from what I recall, and you probably know more about this because I believe you actually have action figures in front of you, and I'm not trying to be mean about it. But I do. Well, it's not mean, dude. That's the truth. It is the truth because I have been to your house. That That is, I think it dwarfs what movies bring in, correct? Uh, it does a lot of money. I know that for a while, the, the rights on the merchandising were split too. That's why you'd see some characters that even characters that were in the MCU wouldn't get an action figure because the old company owns it. But now with everything reverting to Marvel, they're going nuts. Why do you think Spider-Man has three confirmed costumes for this movie? <laughs> and the same reason why Iron Man never wore the same armor twice. You yeah. think about it, a movie ticket, even if you see it three times, maybe you spent 40 bucks on the movie. If you get a little kid that's really into Iron Man who wants the new Iron Man every movie, you got that kid or the kid's parents on the hook for what, 15, 60, I guess they may, I think they put out all 48 armors and then they have the six inch figures they have the 12 inch figures they have you know the um, hot toys figures they have more detailed versions they have ones that can do different things and as a kid and as an adult who still has some but as a kid who collected action figures you don't just buy the iron man you have to have the iron monger for him to fight you have to have a whiplash even though those characters suck ass objectively 
you need to have them in order for him to beat them up and you got to smash them together. And then when the head of the whiplash inadvertently falls off because your brother doesn't know how hard to not smash him into the ground, you got to get a second whiplash. And now, oh my God, there's a war machine. You got to get the war machine. So mm-hmm. it is a uh, very savvy business move to have all these characters constantly changing costumes. You broke it down also through in your childhood. And now we, now we know that your brother would break some of your toys, despite, you know, you probably not wanting to share them. That's just me. I know you probably not wanting to share them. I'd go, I'd come home. I'd go in my room and this dude was just slamming their faces together. And he's like, oh, they're fighting. I was like, that's not the fighting. You're supposed to pose them and imagine it. <laughs> We're going to move on from the toy talk. Continuing gotcha. on with a little bit of Marvel for you. Everybody knows Kevin Feige, man behind MCU. He believes that there is a genre bias against superhero movies at the Oscars. If we go in our time machine, we go back a couple of years. It was amazing to see how Black Panther, I think they brought home three different Oscars. Not so much with the big accolades. I think one of them was costume design and I can't recall the other two, but probably VFX and something like that. Yeah, but not the, some of the big ones, directing, acting, nothing in that area. Hell, even Suicide Squad won, an, uh, won or was nominated for Academy Award for Best Makeup. I believe... Did they win that or did... I don't know. They were definitely nominated for it. That Mm -hmm. I can confirm. Well, with Shang-Chi being this year's biggest hit and a movie that a lot of people think was extremely well made, me being one of those people, what do you think? Do you think that Shang-Chi should be in the mix? Do you think that there were scenes acting storyline that should be part of the nomination round? I think definitely. I love their costume design. We talked about it when we reviewed it, that they did a great job of tying in all of the visual elements to traditional uh, like Chinese folklore. Do I think it's one of the best, like, best movies of the year? No, not that there's anything wrong with that. I love the movie. But I think more importantly that uh, the Oscars need to expand their category because I don't necessarily see it, you know, obviously not best drama, not best comedy or other, you know, they have weird categories. I think the biggest and most blatant snub to me that really always pissed me off was there were I think zero nominations for Logan, which I would say is not only one of the best comic book movies ever. I think it was, it's just a very, very phenomenal movie. Hugh Jackman acted his Australian balls off and you know, they didn't give him any, recognition for it. And I thought that was part of my French total bullshit. I agree. I agree with a lot of things you said there. It's unfortunate that there is a kind of an industry bias too, not just Oscar bias, but industry bias against action movies, against the whole comic book genre. I also think we see that with uh, horror movies because there's a lot of like hereditary or, you know, there's a lot of those kind of A24 indie horror movies that are very, very good that just kind of get overlooked. It's not that these movies aren't well made. These are well made movies. There's a storyline and just because there are visual effects on it, it can't be a good movie. I mean, I'm sure the animation realm has been fighting this for years. Yeah. And still, you don't really see animated movies being nominated for Best Picture when you think that there's not a whole team of people making these movies, that there's a cast, there's acting involved within within them. I mean, some of these animation movies from Pixar, Disney, uh, DreamWorks, well-made movies, in my opinion, that mm-hmm. they get a snub, and I'm sure that they would agree that they've been fighting that fight for a long time, and it's sad that uh, we see this with, I mean, when we did our Oscar episode, I'm trying to think of what we even called it the last time we did it, I mean, we were mostly just making fun of some of these movies, how yeah. we didn't see some of them, and I mean, that's one of the things that's always gotten me, and one of the pieces of news that I'm going to talk about next is with my man, Christopher Nolan, 
and his snubs that he's experienced when I used to train somebody, bring in a little bit of fitness here, that I used to train somebody that her husband was a director. She would just say that they don't even watch the movies. Other guys that are voting for the Academy Awards, they don't even watch them. They're just voting for who they who they like. So <laughs> all of a sudden, movies that are well-liked, that the audience does like, you hear things that are like, but the movies that you like that are good, somebody that doesn't even have their hand in it, that's just voting for who they like, they're going to win? Okay. Doesn't really make sense there. Moving on here, my man, Christopher Nolan, like I just said, mm-hmm. adding more people to his cast of Oppenheimer. Hey, real so quick, he who ju- isn't in this movie besides us, <laughs> Chris? Seriously. If you didn't know, he already has RDJ part of it, Cillian Murphy, a lot of the usual names that you see a part of his movies. Tom Hardy's going to wear a mask in it. <laughs> added in, but he just added in Florence Pugh and Rami Malek. Are you excited? Do you think that blockbusters like this, I had re- read previously that there's a little bit of um, uncertainty if block original blockbusters are going to be able to come back and have a hit. Mm-hmm. I mean, this movie alone, its budget is, and I'm not saying $100 million is not a lot, but what did we used to see with Christopher Nolan? It was 150, 200, yeah. and this one's at 100, and it's an original blockbuster movie. Do you think there's some truth to that? I think, especially with the uh, performance of Tenet, which did well for the pandemic time, but with the kind of the stink he, he rose about it, about everyone needs to see it in theaters, you know, I think with it still not doing well, it kind of um, maybe stressed the amount of power he had. And I'm like, okay, well, that one didn't do well, and we gave you all the freedom in the world, so we're going to pull you back a little bit, and you got to do another big return before you can get that kind of that bargaining power back. Uh, my concern with this movie is I hope they don't glorify it too much. You know, this guy uh, created the atomic bomb, arguably one of the uh, biggest war crimes in human history that we like to act, that the United States acts like we didn't do twice. Um, so I hope they don't try to make it cool and slick and sleek and backwards time travel and karate and shit. Another piece of this in terms of industry with it is how Christopher Nolan, he shopped it around. He mm. went away from Warner Brothers and this one's going to be under Universal because of Universal willing to not go to streaming with it, that they are going to do a theatrical release. Mm-hmm. So... A lot of pieces in here that we'll see how it shakes out with other movies that which right along with what Ron just said. So we'll see how this affects the industry with blockbusters, movies that uh, hopefully we'll see more originals out there. I mean, there's a lot of directors that made a big stink, as Ron said. So I think part of the budget being lower was probably his negotiation with Universal. They said, "Okay, we'll take it. Uh, We'll produce it. We'll go strictly to cinemas. But because the chance of having this giant return isn't there because, you know, people are still not going to the movies like they used to. They're like, hey, you have to drop the budget so we can mm-hmm. guarantee some return. Whereas yeah. if they were just like, hey, go $400 million deep and make $22 million at the end of the day, not worth anybody's <laughs> time. Especially not guys like me and Tyler who make $22 million before we're done with this podcast. So our second movie from our Flop or Not <laughs> series. Oh my goodness, I feel so bad for this one. Right now, at the moment, online, if you're listening, you could stop, you could pause this episode Head over to Twitter, head over to MovieWeb, and you can watch the first five minutes of Moonfall what? from Roland Emmerich. <laughs> All right. Sorry, guys. I'll be back in five minutes. <laughs> Let's go watch this. I'm so excited. What, what do you think about this move? Do you think this is a bold strategy that this is going to pay off? I think they could put the whole movie online and just <laughs> as many people would pay to go see it. That being said, if anybody wants to watch 
one of us react to the first five minutes of uh, Roland Emmerich's Moonfall, leave a comment and you never know. Actually, you do know. Leave a comment. Say you want to see it. I'll do it. Well, I'll throw it up on our uh, Instagram and I'll suffer through that for you, our adoring public. Oh, man. Poor Moonfall. Just flopping right away. It's flopped months before it's come out. Just like yeah. uh, whatever that Rough Night movie you, you talked about earlier. I don't remember the name now. The one with uh, Ben Affleck. <laughs> oh, man. Poor flopping movies. Well, that's all the news I got, Ron. What do you have? Uh, okay, I got a little bit of news. Um, there was announced this week that they are rebooting Zorro, starring Wilmer Valderrama. Had any feelings about Zorro? Big fan. Oh, nice. Small I didn't think- story. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. <laughs> Backstory here that in seventh grade... I wore a Zorro costume for Halloween, and the best part of the story is that I had the biggest picture in the yearbook at at the end. (laughs) So bringing that into this, I'm excited that they're rebooting it. Am I excited who's going to be Zorro? Not so much, but it's a a property that people are going to go watch, right? I think they'll make money. I'm excited for it. I got to agree with Tyler. I don't know. I'm not, I don't dislike Wilmer Valderrama, but I think I can read Tyler's mind and he also thinks it should have been me, (laughs) Uh, but I'm excited for it. Zorro is, uh, as we all know, a uh, Mexican hero. So that's cool for me, uh, especially because Antonio Banderas is from Spain. He's a European man. He is not South American. So uh, it wasn't quite the representation last time they played him. And then they also had uh, Sean Connery playing Zorro, who is Welsh. So it's nice to have a <laughs> actual South American Latinx person playing it. Uh, the reboot will be a reimagining of the series, and it will take place in uh, El Pueblo de Los Angeles um, in the period that it was originally set in. So it's like the 1820s, I think, something like that, somewhere in the 1800s. So I'm super interested to see it. I hope it's fun. I hope it's good. I hope it makes some money. Good uh, representation there. Still think they should get me for it, but whatever. Last piece of news, uh, bringing these guys back again. We talked about them last week. As reported by the Diz Insider, Michael B. Jordan is reportedly back as Killmonger in Black Panther 2. How does that make you feel? Well, they had to do something. I think that's the bottom line. They had to do something for the story. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they tie it in. And I mean, he's a, a name. It's, I think it really brings up the debate about recasting it's something that at first the studio came out and said they're not going to recast t'challa and a lot of fans yeah great awesome and i feel like some fans have kind of loosened up on that that it's a a property that it's a character that people that somebody could pay tribute to chadwick boseman and i'm kind of in that i feel like i'm kind of going that way too that you could pay tribute to him Mm. And the man that he was, the great man that he was. And it's a character that I think people would want to see in future Avengers, future team-ups. That's kind of my thought on that. All right. I'm going to say a couple of things. One of them is a not really a rumor because it's a picture from the set. That may be a bit of a spoiler. So spoiler warning for Black Panther 2. But it seems as though in-universe, they will uh, have killed off T'Challa as well. Um, because there is a set photo from a few months back that had, uh, it was like the feet of a statue. And along the side, somebody translated what it said in Wakandan. It said, mm-hmm. in honor of T'Challa, our king, our hero, something like that. So it appears as though the character has um, passed away in the films as well. That being said, I think maybe an interesting way to bring back Killmonger without having to resurrect the villain. We know that um, the multiverse is out there, that Spider-Man is colliding with other Spider-Men. Perhaps somewhere along those multiversal collision lines, we get another version of Eric Killmonger who never went bad, who stayed 
in Wakanda and became a one of the Black Panthers and he comes over and now he can be one of the heroes without having to explain why all of a sudden he's not a bad guy anymore. It kind of ties into the whole what if series that yeah. we haven't talked about on the podcast. But even though again, spoiler alert in that he was evil too. <laughs> I know. I didn't want to say that, but spoiler it, it's uh, been out. It's on streaming. But yeah, I think <laughs> this idea I just came up with is what they should do. So guys, I'm available. I'm not doing Zorro right now. So you know who to hit up. <laughs> you know where I'm at, at moviebuffs underscore podcast on Instagram. Um, or my last piece of news, I know Tyler has been chomping at the bit for this. This guy has been turtle heading his excitement for this all year long. Tyler, Uncharted got a poster. How do you feel? The oh Tom goodness. Holland, Mac Wahlberg movie. How excited are you? I saw it actually on Twitter. And I'm like, oh my, what is this movie? Well, I, like, you don't even really know what it's about when you see it. It's like, um, is this like a, a fight movie? Like, why are they just posing there? Like, they just modeling? What's going on here? So you're going to see the movie, right? I'm actually not going to see the movie what on the? purpose. Whoa! I'm going to watch it. And again, I'm going to live stream it to Tyler. I'm not going to waste one of my three weekly movies from amc on this i only have 12 a month how can i see this movie all right and then my last piece of news is a trailer so i hope everyone has seen the trailer for the latest nicholas cage movie called the unbearable weight of massive talent tyler i know you've seen it because i sent it over to you how do you feel about it (laughs) it was very coincidental as i messaged you that i just read a tweet about it essentially Nick Cage playing Nick Cage. And then when you watch the trailer, you're like, what, what, like what, what's going on in this? And it, the whole, the fact that's like, it's an original story that Nick Cage is playing himself and they're just going around doing weird stuff. I think it's a fun idea. I think it's a movie that we'll want to see that people are going to watch like, wow, like I didn't expect that to be so hilarious. So I'm excited. Yeah. I think it looks awesome. It's really cool to see Nicolas Cage do something different. I know He gets flack for his acting style, but I genuinely think he is an incredible actor and a phenomenal performer. He just happens to also be a weirdo who likes to do his weird thing most of the time. I recently saw the movie Pig with him in it. It's a very quiet, understated performance. I thought he was really good, and I think it just got nominated for a Critics' Choice Award. But it's cool to see him do something different and kind of play a version of himself. Uh, The story, for anybody who hasn't got a chance to watch the trailer yet, is he's Nicolas Cage, and he's talking to... Uh, Neil Patrick Harris, who appears to be playing his lawyer or friend or money manager, and he's talking about how he's broke and he needs something big to turn it around. And then he gets invited to go to some foreign millionaire billionaire's house and just entertain him. And that's kind of all the movie's about. So he goes as himself, taking this weird gig to make some money. And the uh, benefactor of this is actually uh, played by Pedro Pascal, the Mandalorian himself. And it looks funny. It looks like we're going to get some good performances, and maybe even some heartfelt moments from Mr. Nicolas Cage. And I, for one, am excited. So you weren't a fan of his movie Next, where he could see into the future a certain amount of minutes? I forgot what it is, but (laughs) you weren't a fan? I am not a fan. I think that was a a Rapture movie, wasn't it? It was the Rapture from the Bible at the end of that one? Uh, Some kind of a bomb going off. Have you seen his movie Willy's Wonderland, where he fights little robots? I have not seen that one. He doesn't talk once in the movie. It's phenomenal. One of my one of my favorite parts of this movie is a an aside that no one wants to hear. He's fighting this like possessed animatronic, and he's helping this uh, younger woman who's there. He's he's kind of protecting her, and she's getting attacked, and he's beating up the, the evil animatronic. And then his alarm goes off, so he walks out of the room and goes to drink a Red Bull, and he just leaves her to be attacked. And like ten minutes later, she's about to be killed. He comes back, kills the animatronic, and just nods to her to 
Come on. I feel like I'm not listening. I'm almost like listening and I feel like I'm like in a dream and like, <laughs> how does something like this get made? And I, I, I can't decipher what's real, what's not real. All right, right everybody, go watch Willie's Wonderland on Amazon to see if I made that up. All right, Tyler. So you ready to get into our uh, get to know the movie buff section for this week? Let's get it going. All right. So this week on our get to know the movie buff section, we're going to differ a little bit from our normal one of us goes at a time thing. And we're both going to go in and rank our favorite Spider-Man films. I am going to deviate. Obviously, I'm not listening to my own rules. I'll go second. Tyler, you can go first. I will kick mine off. Reverse order, mm-hmm. right? We're going reverse order here. Yep. And with this, I mean, I feel like choosing your favorite Spider-Man movies, it's hard because by now, 2021, almost 2022, there's so many different movies, so many properties. And you now you're going through like memories and <laughs> jogging back to like, okay, well, where was I when I first saw this one? So despite how much I talk negatively about this spider-man <laughs> and <laughs> i feel bad that i do sometimes because i know that ron likes him and that a lot of people like him maybe it's i think it's more the acting but number three for me is spider-man homecoming i like that movie a lot tyler for me i think it was the the reboot of it and the story of it it's different i i liked i know that some people always get mad when a character in a, a comic book or that you're comparing it to a TV show, whatever it might be like, wait, like flash. Why is he this? I think flash in, in this one is he, maybe he's of Indian des- descent. Um, when they change a character like that, or even MJ, like people get so butthurt about, well, he's usually Caucasian. It's what? Like, it's a comic book. Like, come on. <laughs> We're everything does not need to be the same exact, like especially on the third universe, right? Like <laughs> exactly, you had two, you had two white ones. Okay, you're fine. I mean, going when we had, I do talk about some of the other Spider Mans, none of them in the, uh, the I can't say the originals, but that the, none of them literally looked like they were in high school, like they were literally like 30 years old when they were filming the other Spider-Mans and you're complaining that they actually use teens in this one. Come on, <laughs> yeah. grow up. But um, that's number three for me. Number two. And this one, I can almost vividly remember seeing this one in theaters, but Spider-Man two with Tobey Maguire, mm-hmm. um, Doc Ock. I think the whole story of it, the buzz around comic book movies, superheroes, it was almost in full swing. And, I just in, enjoyed that aspect of seeing it with my friends, seeing it with within the theater. I remember it was a packed theater. It was like, you know, of course, it was like the big one at theaters and it's just packed. I think we were like in that lower level too, like where you kind of have to like have your head back and <laughs> the whole Tobey Maguire coming back, Doc Ock, all the fighting, all the action. It was just a movie that, I mean, if if you were a fan of the TV show, the comic, the comic show, it was just fun to watch. Um, so that's number two for me. Number one, and I kept it within the same realm with Tobey Maguire, but Spider-Man. <laughs> the, that, making all jokes aside, how the cast did not look like they were in high school, <laughs> not one bit, or even when, <laughs> what's his name, James Franco gets dropped off at the thing. How would they literally just drive their car onto the campus? <laughs> just not, on just the stairs. Just putting all... <laughs> putting all rules of the road aside 
I think that it was one of those movies that it kicked things off to really start something that we see today. I mean, without that movie, I mean, I believe Kevin Feige was a producer on it. I'm trying to remember. I'm blanking right now on the director, uh, Sam Raimi. What he did there really set up the foundation of a lot of what we see. So it's cool to even think back now uh, how all the little things that, I mean, them mentioning Doctor uh, Doctor Strange, and now he's directing a <laughs> Doctor Strange. All those things are cool just to see. So that's my number one with it. I know that it's not as cool, flashy as maybe including some of the amazing Spider-Mans in there. I don't even know who would put those in their top three, but <laughs> that's my top three. Ronald, let's hear your top three Spider-Man films. All right. So right off the bat here, I'm going to ignore the premise. I'm ranking my top three Spider-Man things. Things, not yeah. movies. <laughs> yep. So number three. Very original Ron thing to do. Yep. And uh, for everybody out there, I came up with these rules and then I said, nah, I'm going to change them. Anyway, so number three, my favorite, <laughs> my third favorite Spider-Man thing is Spider-Man PS4. I really loved the Spider-Man 2 um, game for PS2 when that came out. I thought it was so fun. The web swinging. This game kind of takes that feel where you have a little more visceral feel. You have to actually connect your webs to stuff and all the Spider-Man movement, and it takes it up to 11. Obviously, the graphics are so much more improved. The storyline is excellent. I thought it was a fun, original story. It's not connected to anything else. It really lets you feel like Spider-Man. You can explore all of New York. One of my favorite things to do is just swing around. Like I would be playing that game and lose a mission because I get so sidetracked, just swinging around, having a good time, throwing cars. It's a good old time, any more fun, and it would be illegal. Number two, I'm going to agree with Tyler's number one here, and I'm going with Spider-Man 1 Origins, the original recipe Spider-Man, the first Spider-Man, the first one. I vividly remember seeing this on Thursday night at about 9.45 p.m. with my dad and my brother. I believe it came out in 2002, so uh, in May of 2002, so I was 10 years old. My dad let me and my brother stay out late. We went to go see this movie, and I remember being like, mesmerized. It was so good. I couldn't get over how cool it was to see all this stuff in real life. I immediately went out and they got me. I bought so many freaking toys. I already had Spider-Man toys and costumes, but I bought the new ones that were movie branded. I bought the video game that was awful and it got me. I think it was for me, it was a seminal moment and not only my comic book loving childhood, but my movie childhood. And it was a cool sign of things to come with studios taking superhero projects seriously and really making something good heartfelt and fun out of it. And now number one, my favorite Spider-Man movie is the Spider-Man cartoon. How does that make you feel, Tyler? I was waiting to hear what it was. I really, I was really wondering what you were going to put in there. And <laughs> I could see that, <laughs> seeing that you're a 30-year-old man and you still act like a 12-year-old kid. I'm 29 again. <laughs> Turn so, back the clock. Yeah. So the Spider-Man cartoon, uh, I got to check what years it aired. So give me one moment, unless Tyler can do it faster. So the original Spider-Man cartoon aired from 1994 to 1999, five seasons with 65 episodes. And if anybody's doing the math, if I'm 29 again right now, that means in 1994, <laughs> I was between two and three years old. And I got to tell you, I was watching it then. It got into me deep. I had comic books. I had the toys. I'd watch it every Saturday morning. I'd watch the reruns on Fridays. I'd watch them as much as I can get my hands on. I would watch this show. And it was probably one of that and the Batman, the animated series. Those two things turned me into the person I am today. 
I would watch <laughs> in my grandma's house, my brother and I, who was three years younger than me. So he was between zero and five <laughs> when the show ended. We'd play Spider-Man. We'd go in the backyard and swing off shit and kick each other. And it, again, is a seminal moment in my life. So that was my favorite Spider-Man thing. I thought it was so cool. They covered all the different story arcs at the time. They did the Clone Saga. They did all this stuff. They had Venom in there. I thought it was so badass when Venom showed up. They even did Spider-Verse first. It was so awesome. He crossed over with Wolverine, with the Punisher, with the X-Men, with uh, with so many other characters. I thought it was just a great representation of the character, especially at that time where we weren't seeing anything like that. Unfortunately, it got unceremoniously canceled between the fifth and sixth season because this is the trivia, Tyler. I told you I needed to write down so I didn't forget. <laughs> it got canceled because the head of Fox Kids at the time hated Avi Arad, who's a producer on yeah. for Sony for Spider-Man films. Apparently, everybody hates this guy. So anyway, the head of Fox TV canceled the show in an attempt to bankrupt Marvel Animation Studios, which Avi Arad was the, uh, <laughs> the head of at the time. And it worked. It bankrupted it. So the show went off the air. Marvel Animation Studios went bankrupt. All those shows ended. Uh, and then Saban Entertainment, the company that owns and produces Power Rangers, launched their own Spider-Man cartoon called Spider-Man Unlimited. I watched it too. Yes, I had some toys. No, it wasn't as good. Sounds like businessmen doing business things that they don't care about anybody. It's almost like they don't care about children, huh? They don't care about children. They don't care about people's jobs. They, they just care about themselves. That's literally how some of the things work in this world. Spoiler alert, guys. So that's our favorite Spider-Man things, films. Uh, if you have any differing opinions or you agree, why don't you leave us a comment below? We'd be really interested to hear what everybody else thinks. And if you think something other than me, you're wrong. And that's okay. Love it. So LT Graf, I feel pretty warmed up. Do you feel warmed up? Feeling warm. All right. I guess it's time to get into this working set. It's kind of like that day you have lunges and calves. It's a day you dread. It's a working set you don't want to do, but we got to do it. Tyler, will you tell them the movie we're reviewing today? <laughs> With, uh, as you can hear, Ron is super excited to talk about Venom, Let There Be Carnage. It's something that we've already joked about in our three other episodes. <laughs> so you could hear each joke in each one if when you go back and listen. But with Spider-Man coming out at the time of this recording in two days. No, sorry. It's tomorrow. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I lost track right there. Tomorrow. <laughs> Spider-Man's coming out. We thought we'd, we'd go back and we talk and review Venom, Let There Be Carnage. So, Ronald, you want to go through the directors and the cast first? I guess, dude. All right. It's directed by Andy Serkis. It stars Tom Hardy as Eddie Brock and Tom Hardy as the weird voice of Venom. And Woody Harrelson as Cletus Cassidy <laughs> and Woody Harrelson as the weird voice of Carnage. And yes, there's some other people in it or whatever, but like nobody does anything. So One of the pieces that we have to throw in there that... Ron and I, I know we joked about after after we saw it was how the, if you watch it and you stayed for the credits to see all the end scenes as well, you probably noticed that the story is also by Tom Hardy. I preface this by saying that we were joking about it, but maybe he shouldn't have. I know that <laughs> I like Tom Hardy. He was honestly one of my favorite um, actors from Rock and Rolla, one of my favorite movies. It's a Guy Ritchie movie. Before he got big, he's in that. You, if you go back and watch it, you're like, wait a minute, that guy looks familiar. And you're like, holy crap, that's Tom Hardy. It's really skinny Tom Hardy. Yeah. But the Tom Hardy is Venom. Like That's the piece of it. And I think that he's so involved with it now that he gets that type of 
of say in the story. So at the same time, the story is one of the things that it's really the worst part of it. Yeah, I uh, I couldn't just say it. <laughs> I gotta say, piggybacking off Tyler's note about Tom Hardy getting the story by credit. I don't. I'm not exactly sure. I'm not in the WGA, the Writers Guild of America. I don't think it takes a lot to get a story by credit. I think you just have to have the idea. So I think. Hear me out. I honestly think Tom Hardy's contribution to what the story is is he wrote Carnage question mark on a piece of paper and they went mm-hmm, story by Tom Hardy. From what I've heard, just based off of different, I think it, I think it was I read about these when like the Star Wars were coming out and all the the drama associated with it. That there's a percentage that needs to be rented. Actually, scratch that. It wasn't the Star Wars. It had to do with um, everybody's favorite um, Justice League and all the drama that happened with it. Uh, but at that time, they were talking about Joss Whedon and Zack Snyder and even director credits and whatnot, and how he was still um, Zack Snyder. How he got credit for the director seek also with like the writing because there's a percentage that has to be done by somebody to get the credit yeah it's got to be 51 percent to have the main credit but as far as story by goes that's a different uh crediting system so for some random inside news that people don't need to know uh for instance i have a a pilot script that we're working on as um as a web series with a production company i'm working with and they brought me on to only be a performer and we saw that the there was an opportunity for some rewrites for the script so even though I didn't write the original script or the story at this point I have the um, number one writer's credit because over 51% of the lines have been written by me in fact 80% of it was rewritten by me that's how I know the the difference the difference is to get the writer's credit but Story by, I think it's literally just whoever had the idea for the story, because that's who has the credit on that script. So by performer, you mean that you're doing some type of side gig, if you know what I mean? A little bit of Chippendales action? Yes, it's a movie about, uh, it's called Tragic Mike. Uh, It's about some guys that thought Magic Mike was a um, actual (laughs) magic show, and they showed up dressed wrong, and then they were, you know, through a comedy of errors, become um, exotic dancers, and their lives only go up from there you know we get into high jinx we get into low jinx uh my top hat gets a lot of use so for a review on venom we really haven't talked about the movie yet do we have to and <laughs> oh man poor venom so i'm gonna give us a little bit of premise to get us back on track here all right go ahead with it so this is the second movie in this series and you know sony they just don't do these characters justice. I'm going to say that right now. <laughs> and I remember when this was coming out, a uh, different podcast that my wife listens to that I'll, I'll tune in with her. It's some of these radio hosts from the Woody show. I think their podcast is called Nerd and Now Podcast. I think she had, they have this type of pool that they got Andy Circus on it. They were talking about it. And so it was this one, Eddie Brock. He is basically showing is living with Venom, and that's part of the whole story of it. So it's that inner dialogue that we all made fun of from the first one, since if you don't know, he does both voices. They just distort the crap out of it (laughs) whenever he's talking as Venom. And so with this one, they brought Carnage into it, Cletus Cassidy. And if you saw the, I think it was the end scene from the first Venom, everybody had a big fuss about the wig that Woody Harrelson was wearing. Which, Wait, that was a wig? Because <laughs> it looked like it was either contrasted the crap out of in post-production or somebody just made an awful wig 
And they said, yeah, let's, let's just use this. This is good. For anybody but, who hasn't seen it, he looked exactly like Sideshow Bob. <laughs> like one-to-one. I think he even had the big old shoes on. With this one, essentially, they go into a, a little bit. Like, that's part of this. Like, they could be, the whole Cletus Cassidy part could have been done so much better. It's not like you have to rush a movie. I feel like with the Sony properties, they really just rush these stories mm-hmm. that you could have made so much because that's such a huge genre this day. The whole serial killer podcasts and yeah. documentaries. And you could have just used that so much more. But essentially, Eddie Brock goes to interview. There's some kind of connection that they have between uh, each other. And then I think you even see it in the trailer. Cletus Cassidy bites him and he gets a taste of his blood. And then when he's during the execution of him the the symbiote reacts and he becomes carnage and that's where the story starts to pick up i guess it picks up but that's really where it just gets even more confusing speaking of the movie being rushed it is almost exactly 90 minutes long which is just about the bare minimum to make it a feature film that's how rushed this is uh fellow fitness enthusiasts this film is the bare minimum length to be a feature film and it shows one of the things that really confused me and i remember i texted ron about this after that so cletus's character they showcase him and having basically a love relationship with naomi harris's character francis barrison and yet when he goes to save her i believe she's supposed to be like in a different part of the country i think she's supposed to be on the east coast um based off like the story but he honestly like drives like an hour and I believe and he's in San Francisco. And then all of a sudden he's just there. And you're like, wait, what? I thought she was supposed to be like in some different ward. And all of a sudden he just automatically gets there mm-hmm. and you're just kind of like confused, but it doesn't add up. The whole storytelling of that, it just doesn't add up in my head that he can automatically be there. And then all of a sudden the detectives are there and. Uh, it just gets confusing in that aspect. My most confusing moment was there's a, the movie starts with a flashback, right? You remember that part, right? We see a a young Woody Harrelson in 1997 and he's supposed to, he's in a home for uh, troubled teens, like a a youth home. So he's under 18 years old in 1997. Keep that in mind, right? Woody Harrelson is 60 fucking years old. So in 1997, Woody Harrelson was almost 40. (laughs) And they're just like, nope, he was 17. Like, yeah, but he's 16. Nope, he was 17 33 years ago. (laughs) I thought it was just Mm -hmm. so ridiculous. It's just one of those things where they didn't have to do this kind of like haphazard rushed version of it. They didn't, he didn't have to be younger. Uh, Mm -hmm. They just did it. Same thing with, like you said, about not utilizing any of the true crime stuff. We never see him be a killer because the movie is a PG 13. We don't even see him really be a vicious killer as Carnage. We mm-hmm. are told he's a killer. We are told there's dozens of bodies. We are told he's wreaking havoc. He says he's going to create so much carnage. We don't see him do anything. And since it's this is a podcast, right? But Venom 2 is a movie. And in movies, you're supposed to show us what's happening. That's yeah. why I had so many free ICs that I got sick. And I had to walk home with a tummy ache. Sorry, oh, my boy. verdict went up top, as everybody can tell. It's another two free IC movie. This one and... Uh, the Predator starring Boyd Holbrook. I mean, could, just looking at the cast of this on IMDb right now, I mean, they have some quality actors. They do. I just watched some, that movie, that, or sorry, that series that I watched on HBO Max that has Stephen Graham in it, the guy that plays Detective Mulligan. Mm. I mean, he's he was shown quite a bit in the trailers. 
And can you really say he's in it like more than five, in maybe like two minutes in the movie? Uh, he has like, a spoiler moment at the end. That's about it. That's it. All right. So that's he's our. Not, uh, not really used. Let's finish this spoiler-free review. I say don't watch it. What do you say? <laughs> if you enjoy these properties, you're going to watch it regardless. Is it something that you need to watch? Ooh, hold on, I stop you. Just just before Tyler maybe lets you think it's okay to go watch this movie, there's a scene where Venom goes to a rave, <laughs> and it's like 15 minutes long, and no, he doesn't eat anybody. He just puts on um, glow stick necklaces and dances. That's in this movie. The movie's 90 yeah. minutes long. They cut out all of the parts of the main characters being people or shown the serial killer stuff, but they kept in a nearly 10-minute long scene of the alien, <laughs> human-eating alien, Venom, at a rave, and he gets on the mic, and everybody cheers for him. So don't go see the movie. I don't care what Tyler says. I did the verdict for both of us. <laughs> Time for the spoiler review, Tyler. Hit the spoiler alert burn button. Mm-hmm. Spoiler. <laughs> that was so good. My uh, recording thing asked, oh, are you playing music? <laughs> uh, so spoiler alert, guys. Um, this is not a spoiler, but it's something I need to say. Both Venoms had a budget of between 100 and $116 million. Venom 1 had a box office return of $856.1 million. Venom 2, $483. And I got to say, that makes sense because Venom 1 also wasn't good. And I think people saw it based off of the premise. And the second mm-hmm. one, they're like, hey, the first one sucked. And this one sucks. So half as many people saw it. Mm, makes sense there in my head. Right. Very logical. <laughs> the... Let's start with talking about Andy Serkis with this, because if we go back to his directing credits, I mean, does he have anything that would scream? Okay. I mean, Andy Serkis, well-loved guy. Mm -hmm. I I love Andy Serkis. I love what he does with his, um, what do they call it? Motion capture. Um, Motion capture. And he's a very valid choice in terms of motion capture. Mm -hmm. I mean, he gets... He gets recruited. He gets set up with people to essentially talk to him, talk to them about motion capture because he's so good at it. But with this credit, I mean, it's a huge budget movie, and I think it was because that their schedules didn't line up. Do you know if that's correct with the original director? I don't know. What movie did you say he moved on to though? Did he move on to Sherlock Holmes? Maybe that was his choice. Different director there, but I mean. Yeah, and I mean, I'm looking at the credits for Andy Serkis here, and I mean, his other one that could go into this, but I I didn't see this was the Mowgli Legend of the Jungle I by Andy Serkis. I didn't because almost at the same time, the other Jungle Book movie with everyone's favorite um, John Favreau that one came out, and I honestly just thought I was like, okay, why am I didn't watch another one of these? <laughs> but do you think that was a good choice to have as director? Initially, yeah. I thought it would have been, but it just seems like I, I've even seen him quoted in interviews saying he didn't want to waste a lot of time with character stuff. He wanted it to be, quote, muscular and fun, the movie itself. Mm. So what that mm. means to me is he w- wanted it to be dumb and constant. But even mm. in that, I feel like the action was really kind of bad and boring. We only yeah. see Venom and Carnage fight the one time. Mm. And I, I gave it credit, though. This movie is much more clear with the silhouettes because they're not both black at night. The the action just there's no stakes either because we see so much damage be incurred by either symbiote in other contexts that we don't know what can or even could hurt them, right? We see Venom 
pull off one of Carnage's arms and it just grows back. So, okay, that doesn't hurt them. We see Carnage getting shot at point blank and a hole opens up through his chest where Woody Harrelson's body would be. And the bullets go through and he closes <laughs> it back up. So then you wonder, okay, does, does Woody Harrelson exist anymore? So can you kill him if he's just, <laughs> has he been fully absorbed into Carnage? And if so, does, so the only thing that hurt him then is sound or burning. There's like no stakes because neither of these guys can use the only thing we've seen that can hurt them on each other because it'll hurt both mm-hmm. of them. Yeah, I just thought it was weird. And we never got to see Venom do any, he won't stop saying the phrase lethal protector because that's the name of one of the, the first famous comic runs that the movies are based off of where Venom leaves New York and moves to San Francisco and he eats bad guys. So Venom the symbiote says it probably six times and he does not help anybody. He does one and it's very boring. I thought it was such a waste. And then to spoiler alert, kill Carnage. It's just a waste of his only cool bad guy. A piece in terms of spoilers that I'm going to go into is with the whole story of like how hungry he is. Like that's part of their argument Mm -hmm. that they have if you already said spoilers that (laughs) essentially Venom leaves Eddie Brock in the movie. And they there that leads to the scene that Ron talked about with this rave, but they're all they're stressing this whole oh I'm hungry I need to eat and like there's this joke about how he just eats chocolate and chickens is it chicken heads chicken brains because of there's some there's something in there that mm-hmm. some nutrient that he needs, but they don't do what Ron's just saying he's they don't go out and protect people he they have one stupid scene in an alleyway. And that's really it. So you're wondering, like, what is this movie about? And my answer is, I'm asking the same question. <laughs> what is this movie about? And how does it continue I can the answer that for you guys. Almost nothing. It's about almost nothing. <laughs> it's a hundred and, what, 150 million of just blah on the screen. <laughs> blah and blobs. Seriously. And I mean to have um, Michelle Williams come back and even her fiance husband uh dr dan which there was like literally one comedic relief point in it i mean they're not even in in this as well you just kind of wonder like what what are these other characters detective mulligan dr dan and what is their part in the movie so it's a it's just really disorganized but i feel like that's part of the feeling that you get when you watch some of these sony properties yeah they're like they're more concentrated on getting the movie done so they can build the Sinister mm-hmm. Six than actually making the movie. And it, yeah. it comes across. If you have one, Ron, what's your favorite scene? My favorite scene, and I, I think I texted you this, I texted my brother it, even without giving it away to either of you guys, I said, all right, so it's a 95-minute long movie, uh, 107 counting the, the credits, and there are 15 seconds worth of watching in this movie. Look it up on YouTube. <laughs> and so that is, again, spoiler alert, the end credit scene where for... No reason at all, the Venom symbiote along with Eddie Brock just go bloop into a new universe. And then again, for no reason at all, the news is on and it shows Peter Parker is Spider-Man. And then again, for no reason at all, Venom goes, ooh, I like him and licks the screen. And then it ends. And all of this is for no reason at all. That's my favorite scene, even though it's complete and utter nonsense. What about yours, Seth? That's actually my favorite scene too, which is sad to say that it's an end scene. <laughs> it's not even in the movie. Already done. I know it's done, but it, it gives hope to the character that with Marvel, hopefully taking some of this away mm-hmm. as we can all point to with the Spider-Man movies, that if 
Marvel was not fully associated with the properties that Sony has the rights to, they probably would not be good. And we've seen that. We saw that with the Andrew, sadly, the Andrew Garfield two Spider-Mans that we, we saw out there. So we're probably going to see it again with Morbius. If that, if that scene means that Venom is going to be in other properties, other Spider-Mans, I think that is a light at the end of the, t- the tunnel for this character. Just my opinion. Yeah, true. That's how I feel too. That's the only reason why I was like, okay, this could be exciting. Ronald, give us your recommendation here. I, I got to tell you guys again, but I'll do it. Don't see it. Okay. Because I, I love the process of making movies and films and TV. I do. I'm glad everybody got a chance to be hired on and make this movie and they were able to make a living. And I'm sure some of the people gave their heart and sweat into this movie, but it does feel like a corporate cash grab that was given as little attention and attention to detail as possible. And I feel like by not seeing it, we can send that message to the companies that make it that, hey, we're not just going to accept it because it's shiny. Like it needs to have some substance. And that's why I get so harsh on things that I feel they take for granted or they just kind of lazily throw at us. Because if you're going to spend $110 million on something, right? And it's something that nobody needs. You're not helping the poor. You're not feeding the hungry. You're making a movie about a black goo that eats people. The least you can do is try your hardest and not just waste all that money. That's my soapbox and I'll get off of it now. Power to the people. (laughs) This is a podcast about starting a revolution. If you didn't know, we're going to actually continue this because uh, Ron's current anger is going to really feed into our next WTF moment of the week. (laughs) So I feel like it's only appropriate that we continue that right now. I think it's only going to be more enjoyable for our listeners here. So Ron... Give us your WTF moment of the week. All right. So to preface this to everyone listening, I had to text Tyler while this was happening because I quote, if I tell people exactly how I feel right now, I'll seem insane. So we watched, my wife and I watched the first two episodes of the Sex and the City reboot sequel series and just like that. And just like that, I almost threw up because I was so (laughs) tense. This show is some of the cringiest, laziest writing I've ever heard in my life. I didn't get to see the scene myself because I was out of the room, but apparently one of the first things that gets talked about is um, Miranda talks about how she stepped on a used condom from her son in his bedroom. And the whole two episodes, her son is just banging his girlfriend in the other room and the parents act like there's nothing they can do about it. Also, Samantha, Samantha's actor, uh, I forget her name, now the the woman who plays Samantha didn't return because she hates the other actors in the movie in the show movie <laughs> everything. So in order to write her character off, they're literally walking down the street. Um, Carrie, Sarah Jessica Parker's character, and Miranda, and they're walking down the street. Apropos of nothing, they go. It feels like she's dead. Yeah, it does. I can't believe she moved away. I can. I told her I didn't want her to be my publicist anymore, and now she won't talk to me. Wow, that's sad. And that's how. They just say that apropos of nothing, and then they walk off screen, and that's all you hear about it. And then again, spoiler alert, Big dies, Carrie's husband, and instead of showing up, they talk about that was her best friend. She doesn't show up. She sends a bouquet of flowers that says, love, Samantha. And then that's it. She's out of the show. It's just so lazy. Not to mention all these insane (laughs) things these people do because HBO is trying their hardest to prove this isn't just a show about old, rich, white ladies. So they're constantly saying stuff that is like borderline racist, and people are going, hey, you're being crazy and borderline racist. And they go, huh, I know I should do better. 
And they just do that for two whole episodes, like an hour and 45 minutes of television. It was so cringy. I shit you not. I was holding my breath while I was watching it. And then I forgot. Then I went to stand up and got lightheaded because I was so upset. So I guess I will say all the crazy parts. So that's my WTF moment for the week. Fitness freaks and fanatics and aficionados. This is the movie buffs. What the fuck moment of the week. I love it. Oh, oh, that was a good one. I need to cool down, bud. We need to cool this town now. Definitely need to cool you down. <laughs> I want to pour some water all over my computer to cool me down. Be right back. <laughs> Electrocute everything. Just start fry everything. Sizzling. Well, as we cool down uh, and move into wrapping this episode up, I feel like we got a lot of negative stuff in here today. So we're going to need to be a little positive for our listeners. Ronald, what do you see in this week? I know what the answer is. I know it's the same answer for everybody. Oh, my God. I even wrote, duh, in my notes. We're seeing No Way Home. <laughs> Tyler, as I've mentioned before, is seeing it about 12 hours after me. So sucks to suck. I'm going to spoil it for him. I cannot wait. Uh, Thursday night at 10, 10 p.m. I'll be at the Fallbrook AMC in Woodland Hills, California, because it's the closest one I can get any tickets to. <laughs> I'm so excited. Uh, besides watching No Way Home, which we'll be reviewing next episode everybody stay on the lookout be ready we're going to review no way home and we're going to try to not spoil it till the end of the review but i can't promise i'm going to be excited i'm also going to be watch re-watching the matrix movies in preparation for resurrections mm -hmm. what about you tyler well i'm seeing it on friday Woo! and I've, I've actually been impressed that i've seen a lot of people actually post about like don't ruin it for everybody mm. i feel like the last time we saw this was with star wars i feel like that's cool to see when a community the people that love watching movies and they come together and they say, don't ruin it for everybody. Like that's cool stuff in my book. So there was a, there was a good one of those for infinity war too. Remember it was hashtag Thanos demands your silence. Like that's cool stuff. And, uh, we've been in the same boat as you with rewatching the matrix movies. My, my wife has not, or prior to the last <laughs> month and a half, she had not seen any of them. So once she mentioned, I was like, we're watching them now. Yeah. So we, we immediately turned on matrix and then, uh, the next, I think maybe in the next like couple of days, we started the next one. So I think we're like 15 minutes into the third. Oh. It's getting ready for next week. And well, next week we'll have to go see in the theaters. Yeah. So other than that, though, I think I didn't mention like in the shows that I'm watching. I know I mentioned Dexter. I think I mentioned Succession. Donovan McNabb. Um, I'm not rewatching Donovan, but uh, with. One show that I mentioned at the beginning, Yellowstone. I'm gonna oh briefly God. touch on Yellowstone, even though it's it it's just because I know Ron will get a kick out of this. Um, if you watch it, you have to admit that the the writing has just gone down the toilet. And I'm not saying it was good to start, and it's not like the storyline wasn't entertaining. I mean, I watch that with my wife because it's just something to watch. It's something entertaining when you may be eating dinner, eating lunch that you can just pop it on. But the writing on this, like they, I've never, other than Succession, this is a similar show that they just really like to dramatize being mean to people, like this <laughs> lifestyle, like with this one being Western cowboys. Like if you think people are that much of, of a-holes, like you have to realize how fic how fictionalized all this is. So it, it's just ridiculous. Unless but, it's the guy that runs uh, Fox Kids Animation, okay? Because that guy's a jerk. Yeah, well... That's all that I'm watching now, but Ronald, how the workouts going? Uh, they're going good. Before I, I forget, I had to piggyback off your Matrix topic too. 
it was funny. My wife had the same exact thing going. She hadn't seen them all. And then we watched the first two in like one weekend. Mm-hmm. That was in September. And I was like, okay, we, we got to watch number three. She's like, I got time. I got so much time. And last night I was like, hey, so um, next Thursday, we're going to go see Spy- uh, Matrix, right? She's like, oh shit, I don't got time. <laughs> <laughs> and then be- as we were preparing to watch the Sex and the City reboot, she had gotten some of the stuff spoiled for her about the, um, the main character death. And she was like, mm-hmm. now I get it. Because she was, you know, I think I told you that she was kind of questioning why the hell are you guys so worried about seeing Spider-Man on Thursday? And she was like, I get it. I can't imagine how that would have been ruined for you. It wasn't something that sucked. She was mm-hmm. like, this got ruined and it sucks. I can't imagine something good being ruined. <laughs> I was like, yeah, now you get it, dude. But anyway, so my workouts are uh, going well. I'm going to try to get into the gym later tonight. I've got some work here to do. It's going to be a hamstring dominant leg day. I think I keep ending up recording on those days. So what about you? I've been continuing on with my lifting and I was thinking prior to this episode how it's amazing how you do a little bit of strength training and not just going to the gym and just wailing away on cardio. <laughs> you do a little strength training and how quickly your body starts to adapt to it. And I bring this up because I was joking with my wife about how a lot of people, their interpretation of getting healthy, that they just, they already know it's it's easy. They can do it. And they believe that it's through cardio. Mm-hmm. When, while most people want to look in terms of aesthetics, it's usually done by strength training mm-hmm. and the benefits of strength training. So maybe keep that in mind as you go into 2022, as we're recording this in December, that maybe yeah. it's not just pounding away on the treadmill, mm-hmm. that you can get a lot of benefits aesthetically and health-wise with strength training. Keep that in mind. Piggybacking on what Tyler said, also people tend to forget going into uh, intense bouts of cardio. There are physical prerequisites to hitting the treadmill or the road or the basketball court for your cardio. So strength training is one of, if not the best way to meet those prerequisites and have the necessary knee and ankle, hip, low back and tendon strength to have your body be resilient enough to withstand the intense cardio you decide on going through. So I think everybody mm-hmm. should be doing some strength training. I love it. That's with this being a very small podcast on fitness. There you go. That's your tip going into 2022. There's our buff section. <laughs> all right, but is that all we got for today? That's all we got. All right. Excellente. Well, thank you so much to everyone for listening and taking the time out of your day. We know you could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with us and we appreciate it. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at moviebuffs underscore podcast. If you like this episode, share it and leave us a five-star review because we're two five-star men and I will not be reviewed any less. Okay, join us next week. We're going to talk about how much we didn't like the freeway. Just in general, we don't like the freeway. We'll talk about it. You'll hear about it. See you next time. So bye. Bye.